0: Okay, it looks like we should be live right now.
1: I'll double check it I can see live on my screen,
0: you can
1: and uh, they can all see me uh, just looked on somebody's phone and it looks like it's live. (laughs) All right, there we go. They're all showing me my face which
0: that's right.
1: I believe you have a question for us first or a little game.
0: I do have a little game for you. Okay, so this is a game of who is most likely to do whatever it is I answer or ask. You answer. I ask. Okay. All right. Out of the four of you, who is most likely to challenge a gypsy to scarf dancing?
1: I, I'd, I'd pick Tristan on that one. And you guys will have to know I've been to a lot of parties with him in the past. So,
2: Have you ever seen me dance at any of those parties?
1: Well, not uh, that you remember. Not that you remember. <laughs> <laughs> Look right. where you lived at Penzik half the time.
2: Well, this is true.
1: Okay.
3: Well, I would totally do it, but I would never oh. refer to them using the <gasps> the word.
1: So wait, gypsy. let me. So y- yeah, that's true. But but if we go to the Middle Eastern side, I did see Eli in a media, Middle Eastern woman's dress run a drag race.
3: Actually, I yeah. was in. I was in. It was a, the charity drag race, and I was just as a geisha. Oh,
1: I that's came right. Came
3: in. I came in dead last in the foot race part of it, but I won Miss Congeniality.
1: Yeah, I think I of tiny North. little tiny little
3: steps.
0: Yeah, Duke Valharik was the was the yeah.
1: Middle Eastern girl. Yeah. Um, all right, what's the next one?
0: Next question. Who out of the four of you cried when Mufasa died?
4: Who's Mufasa? What? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not
2: Tristan. Yeah, I'm thinking.
0: You know, in the Lion King, Mufasa.
2: All oh, right. right. I think I saw that.
4: I, I don't remember specifically, but I'm not afraid to cry. I know I was gonna. I was gonna say you. You look like a sensitive type, so I'm not know. afraid to cry. I'm a big man. I can I, cry. I,
3: I would. I would have if it didn't remind me. If it didn't feel like a, a remake of, Bambi in some ways at that point. So uh, I was. It pulled me out of the story because I was analyzing, the, filmmaking technique. Yeah, you point. also have to enjoy. realize.
4: Yeah, but Uncle Walt is a serial killer. I mean, Old Yeller, (laughs) Bambi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's a mass murderer. Everybody knows that.
1: All right, what's our next question?
0: Coming from the sensitive guy.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the next one and final one. Right now, out of the four of you, who is plotting revenge?
2: Mm. So, so that'd be hard to think. All these are gentlemen, so I I, I would say that they're clear, clear stand out. Um,
3: I don't I don't believe in revenge. I do believe in justice. Amen to that. Justice is sometimes sharper in its punishment than vengeance or revenge, but it is only aimed at the at the malefactor, not in vengeance or vendetta in the Italian aimed at their family, their friends there for seven generations. So I believe in justice and I'm I hope that I'm always working for justice, but never working for revenge.
1: Now you like that.
0: That was a really good answer. I Thank know. I,
1: I could have never said it. So I've right? hired
4: that guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's why we're paying him so much
0: <laughs> well that is a perfect segue then
1: <clears throat> all right
0: to our introduction
1: all right so I'm going to cover the introductions uh I'm going to start with uh, who am I uh I am Duke Branus out of Middle okay. Kingdom uh, I've had the uh lucky uh lucky SEA career of spending 30 some years actually teaching educating and coaching uh people from all around the known world Um, I've had uh, had wonderful groups invite me out to places all over North America, Europe, and uh, even uh, probably one of my best trips was Australia. Um, uh, Just in case I didn't say it, I am from the Middle Kingdom, uh, and uh, hopefully I've traveled to most of the wars. Uh, There's a couple I'd still like to make and uh, still very active and uh, enjoying the SEA like I'm sure all of us are. The uh, other fo- folks in the conversation that will have pieces of this conversation is uh, Duke Sean, and I think probably lots of people know Duke Sean as well. I had the pleasure to teach with him when we did uh, both did the Known World Rutan Symposium in Kalentier. Um and we got the chance to meet each other, uh, talk, and uh, really <laughs> become friends there, and, and we had a chance to create that friendship and uh, talk through the next 30 years after that. So. Benton are probably not quite 30, probably twenty five. So uh, and uh, you don't need to say much about Sean. he has uh, his background is uh, you know obviously very deep with uh, very great SCA people in it that helped him along his way and uh, and he's left his path on so many others that have now blazing their own ways. Uh, uh, so I uh, look forward to his conversation. Yuval uh, he's a uh, university professor. That's why we actually joined him uh, as part of the team here, so we can talk a little bit about teaching on more of a uh, professional level. And uh, uh, he's very educated. As uh, if you were already joined and listened to him, uh, I don't think uh, I think everybody can attest to uh, uh, how uh, uh, how he speaks and uh, is eloquent. Uh, he's been knighted since 1983. Uh, Sean has been knighted since 1987. Um, so, uh, we have a lot of years of people knighted here and, uh, and participating in the SCA. Our last person is Count Tristan. Uh, I've had, uh, he was, Tristan was knighted in 1996, uh, about three years, uh, after me. Uh, and, uh, uh, he was at the time, it was a mid realm. Uh, he, there is now a North shield. Uh, he's count of North shield. Um, he, uh, his in the last 10 years, he's opened a dojo and been experienced uh, building his own dojo, his own practice, and uh, really committing to uh, the Eastern martial arts philosophy. And I look forward to hearing uh, all the great stuff he has as well. Hopefully we uh, give you guys some stuff to think about. We're going to ask for questions, and hopefully be able to answer a few questions. Uh, each one of us could talk for days, and some of you probably heard us talk for days. So. Uh, uh, If uh, there's more interest uh, later, we'll happily break these sessions out into uh, more time so we get more depth. Um, And please let us know. Uh, All of us are here. We've been here, and we really, really enjoy people's input and being able to help. Uh, I've asked all of them if they minded anybody contacting them privately, Um, and every one of them was like, absolutely, yes. Please reach out if you have questions so that uh, they can answer them. And, uh, and of course, that goes for me as well. I'm, I'm constantly trying to help folks on Facebook as well. So I think we'll start with uh, with Sean. Uh, he's going to be covering. Um, he's going to be covering. Let's see. I have it written down. Training met- uh, methodology, uh, kind of a basic guideline. He uh, he wrote this. Uh, he lives by this and presents this a lot. But I think it's really fundamental. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Uh, and uh, please ha- keep your questions coming. Uh, Vesper has been nice enough to interject and throw your questions out to us and we'll answer them as they come.
4: Uh, greetings all, I am Duke Sean from Artemisia. Um, as Ronald mentioned, I have uh, traveled extensively to teach uh, my, my finding clinic. And one of the things uh, that, I, that I focus on uh, pretty heavily and, and I'm fairly, I, I'm not at all ashamed to say that uh, the one thing that I'm trying to change uh, about our sport is, is, uh, the way we teach our sport, um, for the longest time, uh, the training methodology that, that we used in our sport as, as it developed, um, as, as we were kind of making things up as, as we go along, um, it's, it's been this smash and bash training methodology where you just put people into armor and you assume that they're going to, uh, going to, to, to figure it out. And I know that's not the way it's, it's been for everybody, but that, that is a, a training process that is, pretty prevalent in our sport. And I've tried to, uh, to change the way we're teaching our sport, uh, not so much the content or what you're learning from a particular trainer, but uh, the, the training method um, that, we, that we do to, to, to do that. So rather than just putting people in armor, um, my primary training philosophy can be described as um, isolating and eliminating deficiencies. And that means we're gonna find out what is wrong with your fight and then we are going to put you through a training process to, uh, to eliminate those deficiencies and, to, and to, uh, to, to cut out what is wrong about it and, um, and, and make you better through, through an actual process. Um, when I say we're going to be isolating deficiencies and we're going to find out what's wrong with your fight, uh, keep in mind, I'm not trying to tell people that, um, I'm, not, I'm not here to tell you that you're an awful fighter. Um, but the fact is that we learn more from our failures than we do our successes and by isolating those deficiencies and finding out the, the finding the failures we can fix those things and we can address those and uh, I am always working under the assumption that there is something wrong with your fight because um, there has to be because if there's not something wrong with your fight then you're a perfect and complete fighter and you don't need us and we don't need you um, so I'm going we're going to find out what's wrong with your fight and we're going to fix it um, so part of identifying those deficiencies and isolating those is, uh, welcoming and embracing the fact that you have failures and, um, and, and addressing those and using those as a starting point for, for what you can fix and the things that you can make better. Um, so, and, and a, a key component of that and embracing the deficiencies is to do what I refer to as redefining your victory conditions. Um, what that means is you need to evaluate what it means for you to have a successful fighting session. Um, if you go to a tournament and the only measure of success you have is, is to win the tournament, um, if that's the only way that you can, you can consider your tournament to be a success, um, you are going to be grossly disappointed a vast majority of the times when, you, when that happens. Only one person can win the list. And the reality is, in most cases, it's not going to be you. Um, So, you know, success is always better than failure, but failure is a fact. And it's what you do with that information, what you do with that fact that uh, is going to determine your path forward. Um, And the process that we use for that is in in any learning endeavor that, that we have, whether it's fighting or or you know, band, or you know, any any learning endeavor you have, anything you want to get better at. There's basically three different phases to learning, and that is training, practice, and evaluation. If you think about this as a as a college math course, um, you you go to you go to class, and the instructor will put up uh, a, a problem, an equation on the board, and he will go through. Um, The instructions will go through the the process for solving that equation and they will show you what that process is. And this is where you're teaching something. This is where you're being taught how to do the thing. And, you know, you you can ask questions uh, to to clarify any any points on that, but they are available right there for for you to do it and they're showing you how to do the thing. Then you have practice. Um, which is where you will go home, you'll have a, you'll have a textbook, you'll, you'll probably have answers, uh, you know, access to the answers to make sure that, that you arrive to the correct conclusions. Um, And you go through the process of, of um, doing several of these problems without the aid of the instructor being right there telling you how to do it. And this is where you do the work on your own. Um, And then you'll come back to class you'll have an evaluation, you will have a uh, say a midterm and when you get that midterm uh, when you get the answers back presuming that you have not aced the test and you didn't get all the questions wrong you will notice that in um, when you look at those questions you're going to immediately zoom in on the uh, the one the questions that you got wrong rather than ones you got right. Um, again we learn more from our failures than we do our successes the questions that you got right, you know, success we take as the natural order of things, you're supposed to get it right. And when you do get that answer right, you're not gonna, you're not gonna look at that because it doesn't highlight a deficiency. Um, and it's getting that evaluation, that's how we identify those deficiencies so we can know what to work on next, so we can go back to the training and we can go back to the practice and we can go back to the evaluation. And ideally when you, again with, the, with this analogy with the, the college class, when you get to the the finals, you have made progress enough on the things you were deficient on in your midterm that those are no longer a problem. You may have other problems, you may have other deficiencies, but you've made progress on on those. Um, and that's the, the very short version of uh, the overall training philosophy that I better work on. To summarize it all succinctly, it is, Isolating and eliminating deficiencies, redefining your victory conditions, and fixing those deficiencies through a process of training, practice, and evaluation. This is a, a, a process that I've been working with for at least 15 years, and it, the, the process itself is absolutely proven. You can say whatever you want about fighting style. I'm not concerned about what you're learning. I'm concerned about how you're learning it, and this is a process that absolutely works. So that's the gist of what I've got going on. So I think we're going to be uh, going on to,
1: I think, Bronos is next. Is that right? Uh, I so don't... no. The ne- next, uh, do you have any questions, Vesper?
0: Uh, as of right now, it looks like we are calm for awesome. the moment. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's right. And if people want to, of course, save questions for the end, that we're more than welcome, and each person will answer them as those come, come by. So I think the next one is going to be is Grace Eliyahu.
3: Okay. Um uh, thank you. As Brian has mentioned, I've been I teach at the university. I've been teaching and actually taught at six colleges and universities in three different states. Before that, I was a practitioner in advertising, and now I teach. And I've taught design, advertising, marketing, communication, a variety of related subjects. And <clears throat> Process that as uh, Grace Shawn spoke about is a as a skill-building process. I've used a very similar kind of process in skill-building. Initially, in the way I structure classes now in a for more formal educational setting, is that the the beginning of the class is building certain skills. And the later part of the classes is, is combining those skills and applying those to situations. So for example, if an early quiz might be terms and definitions. Then there might be um, how, what you would do in certain situations. And then finally, how you solve certain problems. And that's uh, building through a course of study, through a really structured course of study, from Understanding through skill building through application. The principle is that really first your mind has to understand it before you can can execute it. And there's always a lag. First the mind understands, then the the body or the the effort uh, matches up to that. And so um, I think of of something that uh, Pablo Picasso said said. Learn the rules like a pro, so you can break them like an artist. And I think that that's true. You have to master the process in order to eventually go beyond the limitations of that. To to be not only to build there's certain repetition necessary for skill building to achieve something called um, automaticity, where certain things come automatically and you no longer have to consciously think about them, but you can simply do them. And then you're not only fluent, but you can also be flexible in what you do. So when I structure courses, <clears throat> there's a there's a concept I think about um, called learning styles. And this is something when I was uh, getting certified in education that we were taught this, this is how students learn. They're either auditory, uh, kinesthetic, or visual. What they hear, what they do physically, or what they see. And <clears throat> there's been a lot of research uh, about these learning styles. And current research doesn't really validate them, but they're still useful in terms of teaching approach and I still refer to those, plus there are others. So are, is someone social or a social learner or a solitary learner? Are they logical or are they um, emotional, cognitive or affect? Is Which is more important? And so in designing instruction, I don't think about how the student needs to learn because I can't Evaluate them in when I'm dealing with a classroom of people. I that evaluation that Duke Sean was talking about really occurs, if I understand correctly, he's talking about doing it on a one on one basis. I can't do that given the a formal classroom setting, so I take I combine every possible approach to illuminate the information to help a student gain their own understanding. So eventually, they can put together the information and integrate it into their own understanding. And so multiple types of access for students. When you're working with a student individually, sometimes it can become clear that they need a different kind of explanation than the one you're giving. And then a teacher has to be flexible and imaginative in finding a different way of illuminating it. Uh, illuminating the subject I often think of taking a student into a dark room and there's an object in the center of the dark room and I'm shining a light on it and they get a snapshot of it from one point of view and then I walk around to another part of the room and keep doing that until they gain a 360 degree picture of it until eventually they understand they comprehend and they can recreate it and I think of the the um the old saying, I, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. I've added to that, I teach, and I start to master the subject. And so I encourage students in the SCA, in the university, to actually teach other students how to do something, because that helps them make the gain the knowledge internalized knowledge in a significant way i think the other one of the other challenges that i face in the university that i have to work on as something that i been formed by teaching in the sca is connecting the current lesson to the previous ones because um i know a lot of students in the university setting seem to consider each course as a standalone and not consider all the information that came before. I'm done with that course, forget about it, now I'm on to the next thing. And whereas all the faculty thinks that the students' education is cumulative, it's building one thing on another. And that's something in in the SCA that I've I've applied and something I go back to in the, in the university. So for example, in SCA setting, I'll explain a concept to someone in depth in, in fighting, show them how to do it, repeat it with them because repetition is essential. Repeat it with them, repeat it with them until they get it correctly. Then have them do it, have them explain it, give me feedback and then reduce all of that in-depth explanation to like a single word, feet, meaning their feet has to be in a certain position. I've explained this to them. And I'll move on to another skill, but when they're working on that next skill, they may forget the first one. All I have to do now is say feet. And they remember to correct their foot position while they're learning this other skill. So designing the instruction to be cumulative in nature and additive is a real challenge. Um, um now most students in the SCA, most students of fighting in the S.A. are not entering into a defined course of instruction. They are seeing lots of different instructors at different at practice or their practice is unstructured this is a problem I think that Duke Sean correctly identified and one that all of us I think talking about this have been trying to to deal with. Um, <clears throat> I have had students over the years, squires, who said, I, I don't know where to, I want to improve, I don't know where to start and let me rebuild them from the beginning and say, you have to forget what you knew and I'm starting you over, and we are now building in this cumulative way. But th- that's been the exception. More often than not, there's somebody, uh, I see somebody at an event and say they say, hey, can you work with me? Can you show me something? And then that kind of teaching moment is a different teaching moment. So in addition to the idealized version of instruction, we have to also recognize the context. If somebody comes up to me, can you show me what I'm doing how, what to work on? <clears throat> I only have a few minutes to pick out a thing a deficiency usually and say here's here's what i see now here's how to fix that okay now fix it now go back to the way you're doing it before now go back to the way i'm showing you can you feel the difference okay now repeat back to me so i'm trying to cram this this feedback of instruction into a very short amount of time and i'd say the final Piece of that is a, um, an analogy I, I make to uh, a master woodworker, who gives his apprentices um, all the best tools and a pile of wood. <clears throat> and if the apprentice takes the bag of tools and simply dumps it on the pile of wood, he doesn't hasn't built anything. Ideally, what what mastery is is You've mastered the tools in such a way that you can use them in the right order, in the right sequence, in the right way to create something, to create. And that's the beginning of mastery. And that's what I look for in my students, whether in the university or in the SCA. Are Have they mastered the tools? Have they mastered the process? Are they combining it all and creating something original and new?
1: Thank you, Your Grace. I You're think welcome. that was that was very good. Uh, Vesper, do we have any questions out there?
0: Uh, we actually have questions. If we want to backtrack for a moment, that's fine. To, sure. All right. So Duke Sean, I'm going to bring you up on the screen. All right. So a couple questions for you, as other questions are coming in. The first: What are some good victory conditions?
4: Okay. So um, again, you know, with victory conditions, you have to. Uh, you, you have to understand, you know, what what do you consider to be a success um, in in your for your fighting experience? You know, what what has to happen in order for your fighting experience to be to be a success? And again, as you know, when we mentioned tournament, um, if if the only measure of success you have is winning the tournament, then you know you're going to be disappointed a lot of the times. Um, Sometimes, uh, depending on the on the list that you're in, if you've been fighting for a while, maybe going more than you know, maybe maybe going more than two rounds in a double elimination, maybe that's a a victory condition. Um, the ultimate measure of success. Um, keep in mind that I mean ours is definitely a sport where um, success is largely determined by one single common va- uh, variable, and that is body count. Um, but the body count is, the, the, the focus on body count is counterproductive to actually learning the sport. Um, if that's what you're focused on, then you're, you're going you're gonna to be concerned about your wins and your losses, and you're not going to be able to appreciate um, being able to isolate deficiencies. Um, so, so body count is, is not really, it, it's how we measure things, but it's not the best, that, that's not the best focus for, for learning. The, the best measurement of success and victory is just making progress and being a better fighter than you were the last time, the last time you came out. And sometimes that success does not translate into body count. That doesn't translate necessarily to victories. But when you are, if you have somebody you're working with that is watching your fights, and you know, maybe last time you had a problem with footwork and now you enter the, a similar tournament and now you, your footwork is better, but you have a problem with shield discipline that's progress that's victory and and frankly some days when you're just not feeling it some days victory is just getting to practice at all and putting putting the armor on and and just just getting to it so you can measure upset. it however you can measure yeah. it however you want um and and finding those small victories you know it's um it, it it, when you when you have some success at a smaller level that leads uh, that builds your confidence and it and it makes you think that there's that there's value to what you're doing and and that you could keep you can keep having greater victories after that the small victories lead to lead to bigger victories.
3: Okay, so,
0: great. And we also can I add focus. something to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: So um, just to add to that from uh, personal experience uh, about 20 years ago now, I think I undertook to uh, completely change the way I was fighting. Because what I had done that had worked was no longer current, and it was no longer uh, effective. And as I was trying to change what how what my automatic reactions were, and that took a lot of effort, I would be I'd be fighting with someone, I'd be sparring, I'd be working on a very specific thing, and I would get frustrated and I would just kill them. I would just beat them. But I'd be beat them using something old and not using the new skills I was trying to do. And for me, that win was a loss because I lost patience and I lost focus and I lost the the intention of what I was practicing which was to learn to do a specific thing in a specific way and I simply relied on using something I knew would win but the win was for me actually a loss right because because
4: you didn't become a better fighter right you you just you want to fight but you didn't become a better fighter right and that Anna, and that's that's a loss yes that's, and, that's failure
1: yes. All right, guys, I'm going to got better. <laughs> yes, you did. Thank goodness. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to, uh, be able to kind of be around to watch all of that happen and you compete at a whole different level than I've ever seen you compete at. Thank you. So, uh, that's do you have any quick other quick question? We'll take one more before we can get, His uh, excellency, Tristan.
0: Sure. We have up. one quick question. It, essentially, I'm just going to kind of shorten it, truncate okay, it a little bit. That's
1: fine.
0: Um, if we are doing something successfully. And therefore, we're not reevaluating it because we're successful. Do you believe that we teach poorly because we aren't reevaluating things that we do successfully?
1: So, can I can I cover that one a little bit, guys, if you don't mind? Yeah, so go ahead. So, the key to I think all of what we're all looking for is we we get through learning something. Um, And we're constantly evaluating if that thing we learned is still being done right or could be done better. Uh, I think all the great fighters out there learn so many things. In fact, I I used to throw tons more shots than I do now, because what I've learned to do is throw the basic shots that much better. Um, And, uh, you know, I think we, that, that that what is, or What His Grace uh, Ilya who talked about was the mastering of something. Um, we are constantly trying to master something. You you can call yourself a master of woodwork, or you can call yourself a master, but these that doesn't mean it's the end. You know, it's it's a constant. We're constantly striving for it. Now that doesn't mean that we spend all our time on that. That means that we have to move on, and we have to create sometimes we have to even create new things for ourselves to challenge ourselves to broaden what we have we have to watch other things like uh, i do a lot of uh you know european eastern european boxing footwork and uh, tension control and breath and all of these pieces to become a better fighter all the time um but we have to constantly go back and say you know i'll look i'll look at my a win and i'll look and go man that was absolutely terrible i have no clue why my feet were that way that's not a win for me because I perform poorly. Um, you do have to be careful on not, you know, constantly poor looking at things that you do always wrong. Cause that's a bad thing that goes back to what Sean says. Uh, and, uh, but reevaluating, there is nothing wrong with that. Uh, you shouldn't dwell on it. You should see, get your basic foot underneath you move on to something else and constantly look back and say, am I still doing this well? and then move on again. And um, am I still doing all these things well? And we just keep moving on. Uh, Talking about moving on, uh, we're gonna move on right to his Excellency Tristan here. And uh, just so everybody knows, uh, again, please feel free to reach out to any of these people and ask these questions if they don't get answered here. We really do wanna answer everybody's. We wanna make everybody better fighters, but even more so we wanna make everybody better trainers and better partners for people at their fight practice. All right, your Excellency.
2: Thank you. Uh, I, I want to cr- make one minor correction and that is uh, I'm a Viscount not at full count. Oh, sorry. So I kind of <laughs> not count but uh, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, I know a lot of people don't know who I am. Uh, I've not been really active in the SCA uh, for some time now. But when I was active in the SCA, I was in a household at our biggest I think we had 23 members out of that we had seven knights, five royal peers that came out of that group. And I only say that because really what we'd created, what's called, referred to as a talent hotbed. Like, how do you get a group of people that help each other out to become better? Like the culture of that group winds up becoming better. And what I discovered within the SCA that I took into my martial arts training as a dojo instructor was that same culture. Like, how do you take the spark, which is the interest of the student, and fan it into a flame? And that's a very uh, delicate process. Uh, and it, in, in taking this to the to, uh, traditional Eastern side, I teach Aikido, by the way, is the art that I teach in my dojo. Uh, there's a, a concept called Shu Ha Ri, and this describes three tiers of learning. In, in Shu, and I'm sure everybody in the SCA can relate to this, in Shu, imagine is the beginning level when somebody comes to their first practice and they, they're like a sponge. They don't know anything of what's going on. And they are, just want to be taught, like, how do I hold a shield? How do I throw a basic shot? They, their mind is completely open and they just they want to learn how to make one thing succeed. And this is where connecting to a student like that is really important. And what I found as, a, as an instructor, kind of in the SCA or a coach, I guess a mentor, you could use that term, is it was easy to lack connection between you, the experienced person. And the brand new person who just could not even, didn't even know the language you were speaking, could not relate or understand the kind of the intricate vocabulary that that fighters tend to have. And so to make that, that connection really effective, for a mentor, you have to appreciate where is the person that you're talking to, that you're trying to teach, where are they at? And you have to give them exactly what they need at that time, no matter how simple it is to you. It may be even boring to you because you've learned it and absorbed it long, long time ago and, and moved on. But you, that's what they need. And that's where you're going to establish that connection. And you can do it one on one. You can do it with a group. But it's usually even with the group, you're doing a bunch of one on one connections where you're trying to help each other for where the, the learner is at. So that initial layer is called Shu and that's, that means to protect. And that means that the technique that they're learning, they just want to learn that one technique and, and have it, uh, get, get it down and, and get used to it. Then you have uh ha in the middle. And that's where you could equate this in the SCA to say, a, uh, a mid-level fighter, like a squire. He already has got a number of basic, uh, offense and defensive capabilities. He's got some movement, got some, got a few shots or combinations that he likes, but he's still served really well by having one instructor. The one thing about the, the shoe level, at the, the entry level, that beginner, if he has two instructors trying to teach him at the same time, his brain's gonna explode, much less three or four. There really needs to be one kind of, one stable source of instruction for that person to really do the best. Uh, be able to learn at a good rate. And then, as more experience comes in, you get to the exploration uh, level, which is the the ha level, where they they have some comfort, have some competence, and now they want to start branching out. Maybe they get a little bit of mentoring from other knights or other other fighters. They start branching out a little bit more and they start the very beginnings of making their own style and their own their own art. And then once they get that kind of comfortable there, then you get to uh, re. And that's that that highest level of, I hate to use the term mastery because mastery, people tend to think of it being like, okay, I'm done, I've got, I know everything there is to know. Really what it means is you truly walk your own path. You are no longer um, beholden to a single instructor or to a single school of of fighting or, or whatever your martial art is you really are gathering what you find to be the most useful things for you. And I, I relate that to what Bruce Lee talked about of absorb what is useful, uh, discard what is useless and keep what is uniquely your own. Like that is the level of re. Now, uh, this language is, a, is used in the Eastern arts. Uh, I, I sort of viewed this as I watched the development of many fighters, including myself, where each of those tiers was uh, physical, and then mental, and then spiritual at the top. And you could, you could see somebody learning to play guitar, or piano, go through the same thing, where in the beginning, they're just trying to get down the mechanical movements to get sort of close to what, what music is. And then they start, uh, once they get the, the physical aspect down, then they realize, oh, there's a layer of strategy in here. There's a, I'm learning the music theory. And it, within fighting, we're learning, okay, what about the, the mental game? How do we analyze our opponent, how do we start figuring out our plan for how we're going to take them, take them down, how, how we're not going to fall for their best uh, shots and whatnot. Like that's the mental layer. In order to get to the mental layer, you have to be able to ignore and let go of the physical layer. If you're obsessed about which foot is forward and, and what, where your hand is placed and, and where, what angle your sword is at, you're not going to be able to go into the mental and dwell there. Then once you get in, uh, comfortable with the mental layer, the next thing is to leave that behind, let it go and go to the spiritual. And this is where you, the, uh, you don't think, you don't plan. It's, I, I equate this to what Musashi referred to as the void. When there is no agenda, there's no plan, you just merely act on what you see and you express yourself. And I guess that's where Bruce Lee would say martial arts is expressing yourself 100%. And so to me, that spiritual layer is, is where that void is. Um, I've, I've tasted a little bit of it, but I admit that is the hardest transition to make from that mental that mental uh, strata, strata to the, the spiritual. Um, and I don't use spiritual in the term of like religious. I'm talking that it is uh, kind of what uh, Duke Eli was talking about, where it's, it's just natural. You just naturally know what to do. You don't think about it. You just express it. And so I, I think these three, these three layers are very helpful for a coach or, or an instructor or anybody. They're going to mentor somebody for 10 minutes. Get a basic idea of where they're at and go to the level that they are and take them just a little bit higher. Like to me, that's where the effective mentoring came in. And Bronis has been a, an avatar for me, an example for many, many years. There's nobody, in my opinion, that does it better than he does. And I always wanted to, to have that same level of skill, so I put my mind to building that. And uh, the people that I work with, uh, you know, you see them start to get those light
1: bulb moments. Looked like we got a little freeze going on there.
0: Uh, it looks like we lost. Him. No, no. Oh, there we oh, go.
1: There we go. You're back. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I? Okay. Yeah, just for, for a second you froze. You're fine. Okay. OK, so that's pretty much what I have. So. All right. Do we have any quick questions?
0: We do. Oh, um, awesome. We have. Yeah, we have a question. When I am fighting someone less experienced than myself, I automatically go into instruction mode. Yep. Do you see any dangers with me doing that, since I'm only a mid-range fighter? For example, I might instill incorrect habits in the less experienced fighter.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. I would say yes there is a bit of danger with that if only the fact that you may come off as arrogant um and and there's nothing wrong with wanting to teach people absolutely it's generous you're generous of heart to want to teach them uh just make sure that you can set the expectation with them that they don't feel that you are condescend being condescending to them um there are a lot of different ways to do it we can go into a little bit of detail at maybe a later point but uh I've, I've been, been to that in that, in that same position many times. And, uh, you know, kudos to you for just not unleashing everything that you can do and annihilating them right off the bat, because this is the SCA people are into, into the SCA to have a good time, not to just get blown out of the water. Um, and there are ways to, to bring out their best fight. And that's the way that I would think about this is as an opponent, especially when you're not in a crown tournament, not, not, not in a high stakes type of a situation. You do have a bit of an obligation to help bring that person, the best fight out of that person and many different ways to do that. In fact, I'd love to hear from each of the other people on here and how they do that same thing. Because every single bout, whether it's practice or in a real tournament or in a melee field, it's, it's not only a practice, but it's the real thing because we, we, we don't actually die. We keep coming back. So. Every time you learn, and I think I think Sean would agree with me on this one, is that every single pass that you do, no matter what, is a learning opportunity. So if you view that your opponent, who is of lesser skill, make that a learning opportunity for them. There's many I, ways to do that. I can yeah, add I think,
3: something. Yeah, go ahead and make it that. Quick. So uh, just quickly, um, what I, this is Bella, by the way, mm-hmm. who has, <laughs> has joined. Um, the better side. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <clears throat> uh, when my squires have gone to uh, a, a large event, like what in the realm is called a tournament of chivalry, where a lot of knights are there, and they're each open to training and teaching uh, bouts with individuals, um, they, because of that situation, getting a lot of instruction from a lot of different people, What I have told them is to take notes when after you get some training from anyone other than me, I'm not saying it's bad, but write it down so I can help you understand it and put it in the context of what we're working on and the level you're at so that you can use it, incorporate it so it's not confusing to you because otherwise you'll get lots of different information, many voices, and that can be a, a, a problem.
1: All right, thank you guys. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more questions out there. Uh, and uh, I'd like to once again, just extend a big thank you for everybody listening because I think everybody uh, really wants to help folks. And hopefully uh, all three of these gentlemen uh, gave some good ideas on um, not only how to help them or how to think about it, but uh, you know, how, maybe brought more questions and more things to mind Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback from everybody because we'd love to go in depth on a lot more of this stuff Uh, so my part uh, of this other than uh, being the the person talking a lot uh, is uh, really that emotional piece I, I had the pleasure of starting with Tristan and Sean and we've been trying to talk about how to how can how can we you've helped a lot of people become better. We've helped, taught a lot of people. We trained, we coached a lot of people, but how can we help people start practices better, uh, build a better practice, build a, a training philosophy, help others easier? Cause we don't talk a lot about train to trainer or train to coach. And I think this is the the biggest piece we wanted to get to. Uh, and we've been talking for the last couple of months about, and, uh, and, you know, we, be happy to to sit around and talk with each other uh because we have really uh, some good insights uh, and i've learned a lot from all three of these gentlemen um but on my end uh, i've had the pleasure of teaching and lots of nights uh in my own group and multiple kingdoms um I tend to fall on to the emotional side Um, and and that emotional side of teaching um, uh, comes a lot from uh, empathy, really from myself. It's the one thing I tend to be uh, very sensitive of, Um, but knowing how a person's feeling when they're, when they're fighting you, how, if they need that positive reinforcement, uh, doesn't even need to be a blow to hit you. It needs to be something that, that lets them believe that and build that confidence that what they did was right. Um, some others need to, you need to take a look and say, what the heck did you just do? That's, that's not, you know, obviously, you know, that's wrong. If, if that's, if you're just gonna keep doing it that way, then, you know, maybe we need to start back at square one. And sometimes that's the that's a, a real sharp note, but sometimes those sharp notes are what help people think about what they're doing and bring them back into the path of learning and moving forward um most of my my training comes a lot from discipline but really the biggest piece here is i I don't necessarily think myself as a trainer i think there are probably some lots of better trainers than i am out there because i teach fundamentals almost even better than i do i tend to get a little complex in the ways i teach things Um, but coaching is a whole different animal when we 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 look at training somebody. you know it's in coaching, it don't need to be, you know there's lots of boxing coaches that that don't train people how to punch or how to weightlift or how to eat better. They have trainers for that. Um, but they they know their their student. They know when they're not giving it at all. They know what they can do and take advantage of an opponent in a ring. Uh, and this is what they're giving them in the corner. They're giving them that positive or negative reinforcement to drive them to a different level. And really that's where we're all trying to get. We're trying to get to this level. That's so that, 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 that epic place where everybody wants to get to. And, and it's hard to get there to by yourself sometimes it's a, it's a long struggle, but when you have somebody alongside you that you can trust that you respect, that you have a great deal of, of, of understanding and that communication is, is really, really good. Um, that person can excel your fight and that person doesn't have to be me or Duke Sean or, or Tristan or any, anybody like that that could literally be the best next best guy at your fight practice or your buddy who you've been training with the whole time um, because it's emo- it's emotional based or you know it might be that he, you come back and it's like hey how do you think I did and you'd be like well you know I've seen you do better here's a couple of things I didn't see you do or You know, hey, your sword looked like it was back two inches or your feet were spread out, you know, but there's a person you trust or, you know, you come back to a corner, you're looking a little dejected. That person knows you well enough to say, you know, hey, you know, that may not have been great, but man, you did this thing really well. So let's, you know, you, you know, he can build you back up before you go into that next round. And that's the emotional side of training And In fact, that's the emotional side of coaching. Um, For the last three years, I've been doing a few. Uh, there's a known world fight symposium, uh, I think a year or two ago that I went to and we did a, a coaching round table. It wasn't me explaining what coaching is. I wanted to talk about coaching. I did it at another round table at Penzik and there was another place that did round table. I want people to start thinking about that coaching feel instead of just, you know, I hear this all the time. Oh, you know, we, we got to learn to train people better. Well, there's actually a lot of good trainers out there, but when you in, you get somebody passionate about something and build that passion. We know what that can generate, can generate greatness. And that's what we're trying to get. That's what we're trying to push those people to, because that's what they want. Right. In the end, you get, you get the chance to take a look and say, you know, Hey, I helped them get to the place that they really wanted. I helped them get past what they ever thought they could. I mean, that's hugely satisfying, not only for them, but for you too, because by then you're, you're, you're really that, that emotional piece is not just. You know, feeling his emotion, but you've got a bond that's going on at that point too. And and sometimes it's you know sometimes it's maybe you know that that father son or father daughter bond that that you know that's unbreakable. Or you know maybe it's that best friend bond. Um, but you're both getting rewarded out of it because they give you that trust, and and that's an incredible gift that they give you. In fact, uh, we were talking, and um, somebody brought up you know. Uh, Eli, in fact, it brought up earlier about bringing the empty cup, a cup to learn. You know, I, I, Sean was talking about one of his students has incredible martial arts background. Came in, is like, teach me. He didn't know that he's, you know, been training for years and years and years and a great practitioner. The guy came in and said, "Teach me." I'm a white belt. Just, just teach me. Well, that's in, in our group, obviously. White people need something a little different, but that's a gift. Because that's really, really hard to give up, especially when you spend that many years with something. Um, and I'm going to tell you, every one of these guys up and and myself included, that's we know that that that's a gift, and we, we really appreciate that. And so, it, what I would say is, be a great student, be, you know, build that that layer of trust with somebody so that somebody can essentially help you on your path. And motivate you to maybe even go past where you ever thought you could uh and and you'll you'll feel good and it doesn't mean that you have to win everything it means that you know i never thought i was going to fight in tournaments before i was a great melee guy but now i feel good about fighting in tournaments i have a chance well there's a place that you're going to that you never thought you would be before and these are the kind of things we can help each other with and we can also help each other with just being hey are you going to be at practice today? Because I really like to work on something. And that's that responsibility back to each other. And that's what keeps people coming up somewhere. So I, I'm going to leave it off on that so we can get a, it looks like we're dead on eight. Uh, Vespar, did, uh, maybe a question or two, or are we going to be pretty much up?
0: We do have a question. Okay. How do we transition along the path from training or teaching into becoming a good coach?
1: So, first thing I would say is, is there's that place where you have to, there's, there's all that place where you have to build that relationship with somebody, you have to build that trust. Um, And that trust may start, you know, like, Hey, you know, you, you, and and this is, it's always an edgy piece. You, you first, you want to make sure that somebody else isn't already training and helping somebody. And if they are, go to that person and say, go to that person that's helping them say, Hey, they're looking really good. You know, maybe can we work on something like this? And and build that trust, not only between that student, but also the person that's helping them. And if they don't have somebody helping them, give them some things to work on. Build that trust. And then that trust, they'll they'll start coming to you. Tell them. Communicate. Communication is the fundamental to this. Tell them, anytime you want it, I am more than happy to give you my time. I tell people that all the time. And, and that includes people. I have a wonderful student uh earl wilfrick uh that was in drakenvall um he was already an earl uh he was uh, my student we did video and he shot video for three years one of the and i've had a lot of great students but i've never did it from that range and he, after three years he we got knighted over there um and he fights my style it's it's we spending all kinds of time just talking on facebook and and filming and sending stuff back and forth it was great experience for me incredible learning experience and uh the best part is you know that's you're gonna somebody said it earlier you you become a master at something once you start teaching it and start coaching it because you start feeling it and you get to that spiritual place Mm -hmm. and uh you know all i can say is build that trust first and 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 it has to be real trust and respect that person for what they give you and they'll respect you back
2: yeah, if I could jump in with one thing, too, and I've noticed this very strong parallel, not only in the uh, martial art, the traditional martial art world, but also in the SCA. You, When you start, you get into a major gear of every time you go to a practice, every time you go to class, your your focus and intent is on building your own skill. Like, you are almost a total narcissist. You're You're... I need to be better. I need to improve this. I need to work on that. Here are, here are what the, my weaknesses that I have. Like these are the things that fill your mind and usually for years, but in order to cross over into being a coach, you have to totally shift gears and put the priority on your student. You have to give up on the, I'm here for me. I'm here for what I can do and what I can learn and turn it around and say, I'm here for what they can learn. And even if you got one person you work with or five or 10 doesn't matter, you have to put you aside and make them the priority. And not to do it from the fact of, well, I'm a, I'm a big shot fighter or I'm a sensei and I need, to, I need to pretend to play my role because that's what I should be doing. I'm talking very earnest, like you have to put the priority and success of your students as your A number one goal. Maybe it's only half a practice you do that and you do the first half for you, and, but yeah. when you shift gears, And this has to be a very distinct and clear shift of gears and it has to come across completely clearly in order to gain the trust that Bronis is talking about. You can't have your student think, well, this guy's just over here kind of showing off and teaching me because he wants to be, he wants to look to everybody like, like a teacher in front of everybody else. It has to be, you really care. You want that person to walk out from, from walk away from you knowing something they couldn't do before or understand something they didn't understand before. And, and as a dojo owner, that's my priority in a class. Whenever somebody comes in, I want them leaving, thinking they're better than they were when they walked in the door. And I, I think, think that's well said. If yeah. the SCA had that same atmosphere at every practice, it would be a whole different whole different ball of wax. You know, there are practices that are great for it and, and really do that. There are others where it's just a bunch of guys or, and gals that are just there for themselves. And you can tell, I mean, it's the atmosphere will drip off the walls. And it won't bring people back. It won't make people want to be there because they feel like everybody's there for themselves, and it doesn't leave them much, especially raw beginners.
3: And if I can, if I can add one more thing, uh, if someone, uh, if uh, in the the question, they're fighting with someone of lesser skill, and they want they're thinking, should I should I start teaching them? I'd say the the simple question to ask. The person is, hey, can I can I show you something? I've noticed something. Is it okay with you if I show you something? Get their the permission first of the person you're you're helping to teach because without their uh, without their agreement, without their buy into that, then you're being you're pushing your knowledge or what you what you think you know on them instead if you ask them and you ask, and they can say no say no I just I just want to fight say go fine let's just do that but if you ask someone hey I, I know something can I can I, help? I I don't if I see two people fighting for example I if I don't just walk over and start correcting them I'll stand and watch for a while and if they turn to me I may I may say hey you know do you mind if I point out something I saw Now I can get away with doing that maybe somebody who can't always do that. The first thing is ask their agreement to offer information. And then they can do if they agree. Great. You can, you can share with them.
1: Well said, John, do you have anything?
4: Yeah, I do actually. Um, So as far as the, the transition from From, you know, fighter to coach, Um, you know, we expect all members of the chivalry, uh, all all Knights and Masters, uh, we're we're trainers, we're we're supposed to teach fighting. Um, The the level of training that that the four of us do um, is is beyond what is ordinarily expected. Um, And, you know, I have trained in, I've, I've done my fighting clinic in more than half of the kingdoms of the known world. And, you know, I, I occasionally get asked that question. It's like, well, that seems like a pretty good gig. You know, people, people yeah. uh, fly you out to places to to uh, teach them how to fight. And, you know, how do, how do you get into that? And my answer to that has always been that you don't get into this business. You kind of end up in this business. Um, you know, you, you, we, we all as knights will help whoever is going to ask and, you know, eventually you, you, you get that point where uh, I know for, for me, it was, you know, 2007 or, or thereabouts. And, and somebody said, man, this is really great stuff. I, you know, what, what can I do to, to get, you know, get a weekend with you? Um, and then I set up a class down in, in, uh, down in Vegas, did that for a few years. Um, and, you know, and then one of those classes, somebody said, what does it take you, what, what would it take to get you to my house uh, to teach this? and you know i went out to went out to somebody's house and taught this and you know you you help enough people and and that and and, and it's effective you just kind of end up in this um and i, I am i'm am incredibly blessed to to have fallen into this um i got a lot of my my training methodology uh, and the 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 concept of of training uh, from Viscount Sir Sagan, uh, originally of the West, now uh, here in Artemisia, and, and that has really, um, re- really kind of carried me on as far as you know how I train and uh, you know and, and the value of that. But getting back to, to Tristan's point, um, you know, when you when you get that text or that email from a guy that says I just won crown, thanks for your help. I mean, I, I've I've had plenty of success for myself. And being able to give that success to other people and, and, and helping them find the kind of joy that I have of this sport uh, for, for so long. And quite frankly, it's, it's just me being able to give back to so many people that have, that have given so much to me. Because I, I remember when I was coming up in my way and just you know, hungry and eager and trying to, trying to learn and all the people that helped me, you know, I mean, I feel like I owe it to the society at large. To, uh, to to help out where I can and, and and watching people have success with what I've given them is, is far greater than any success I could have for myself at this point.
1: Yeah, I'd agree 100%.
2: Could I jump in with one last thing? And I think this is a, a, a great wrap-up point. And that is you get better at what you practice, pure and simple. If you go to practice and all you do is fight and spar and train yourself, that's what you're going to be good at. You won't be good at teaching because you're not practicing it. So take time out, even though you feel like you're clumsy. And this is one of the things that my Aikido instructor told me, because I always got shy about uh, teaching things that were, that I felt were beyond what I knew how to do, which is of course, teaching one-on-one, don't teach outside of your, your knowledge base. And of course, when you're not yet a black belt and you're, uh, you, you got a, a student that you're working with that's struggling, you're like, I don't know if I should show them anything because I'm not really good enough at it. And he always said, if you know one thing, teach that one thing. If you can do give them one thing to help, it's going to be better than if you just stood there and did not help them at all. As you do that, you're kind of getting your legs underneath you as a teacher. You know, you're you're starting to learn what it is to be a coach and a mentor. And then you're going to stumble. You're going to struggle. You're going to, I guarantee you're going to teach somebody to do something wrong. <laughs> it's going to happen. So get over it. And do your best, and just say, be honest with with the student. And this happens, I think, um, more. There's more concern about this in the traditional martial arts, where it's like, I don't want to teach something that's wrong, and I I need to make sure that if I'm an instructor, I'm perfect, and I never, you know, show any weakness in front of my in front of my students. I've taken an entirely different approach and say, I'm 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 a human being. I'm flawed. If I I'm going to teach you something today, tomorrow I could I could have find something that's better, and I'm going to teach you that. What I t- what I show you today could change. So look at your teaching skill like its own set of skills that's separate from your fighting. Don't think of, oh, I'm a really good fighter. Therefore, automatically, I'm a really good teacher because that won't ever happen. You need and to address the, I guess, the concern or the question that uh, somebody had for Sean about, well, how, how do I get into coaching? Practice. Just practice it get with more and more people and get better as a coach. And then that's why we wanted to put this together, this, this um, train the trainer uh, roundtable type approach where we can share with you uh, things that experienced coaches have learned that's effective for getting their students to that high, those higher levels of excellence quickly. Uh, because why not share all, the, all this wealth of knowledge that we've gathered individually and, and kind of helped each other with why don't we get a place where people can come together and learn from that experience? Like the, the internet can let us do that. And that's kind of what this whole thing is starting.
1: Tristan, thank you a ton. And I think you're hundred percent right. I think that that as a wrap up uh, and is really, really to the point. Um, And earlier I said that we're all here for everybody that's listening. And I think everybody, each one of these gentlemen have said it, over and over again, that they're more than willing to take questions and talk. And, you know, some of that might be even, hey, send me a video or, or you know, I'll give you a review or, you know, and I do this all the time. And sometimes it, it works, sometimes it doesn't, uh, but, you know, reach out. Uh, and uh, if you guys want more of this, uh, please let us know, because uh, each one of us would love to come, uh, maybe even present a little bit on our own or we'd just love to come and just take questions for an hour. I think uh, we, if, when we get together and just talk on, uh, we use Zoom a bit, uh, we get together and we'll go an hour, hour and a half, just kind of throwing stuff nope, back and forth. Bad, I? Yeah, so, um, and we're, we'd be happy to talk with folks. So just let us know, um, and uh, one way or the other, look for stuff from coming from us later. Uh, we were just starting to put some more resources together for everybody. Uh, so that you can go somewhere and, and find those resources to help you become a better trainer or a better coach, um, because we really do want to get out there and help everyone. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed this. Let us know. Best part, you're wonderful. Uh, and thank, thank you for very putting this all together. Thank you. All and right. we look forward to uh, working with you again.
0: Wonderful. Have a wonderful Definitely. evening. And thank you, everybody, for watching. Bye.
1: Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.